Hello, 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 and welcome to Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I am Eric. And I'm Chris. And this week we are doing one of your picks, so I'll let you go ahead and intro our topic for the day. In honor of the new film starring Eggs Benedict Cumberbund, we have a few classic issues of Doctor Strange, um, specifically from way back in the day when it was being done by Steve Ditko. And we also have the Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 2, which is when those two characters first met um, and was a big deal in that one Essentials volume it was in for um, 12-year-old Chris? 12-year-old Chris, probably. So we're back on the early formative comics for your child self-kick that we began with Spidey and his sexual habits. Yeah. Yeah, I keep picking early childhood nostalgia because it's like, this spidey and lionicle yeah i don't really know what to say about that but you know (laughs) yeah i mean some things stay the same and we'll be coming back to all these characters uh real quick just off the top credits and all of that the specific issue numbers are strange tales 110 111 and 114 just the Doctor Strange backups. These also had a relevant show of the Human Torch that we're not talking about. And then uh, the Amazing Spider-Man Annuals number two. Creatively wise, we have Stan Lee, Steve Ditko. And then on lettering, we have Terry Zinnix on the first two stories. And then Sam Rosen on the latter half. And I suppose should we just go in publication order? Yeah, that makes the most sense to me. Um, so the weird thing about the way Doctor Strange was introduced is his first three appearances occur and then they do the origin later. Um, so the, the, the thing that I really love this first story when we don't know who Doctor Strange is, it, it's helped by the fact that his origin is boring as shit. It's also just highlighting how weird and racist this is, which is going to come up a lot in this because like, all the early Doctor Strange stuff is really weird and racist. Uh, something which is a problem to this day with Doctor Strange. Uh, if you can see all of the difficulties with casting the Ancient One in the MCU and going with Tilda Swinton, this ancient Tibetan man that we have in this comic is apparently best translated as Tilda Swinton. But, I mean, the problem is literally no matter what you do, you're making a racist stereotype, so... Yeah, it's just bad all around on that front. Yeah, we have Doctor Strange. He's not Steven. We don't get anything about him being a surgeon. The only bits of his past that get little glimpses are just his past is relating to the Ancient One. And really not even much of their history. Just we know that he is the Ancient One student. And that's about it. Like it's inferred that he's been the HM1 student for like a solid amount of time now not specific but like they didn't just meet but there's nothing about the oh I was an asshole and then I injured my hands it's just mysterious man and all of the characters who need help are calling him up and are just like I've heard of this mysterious man mysterious man will you help me and 
frankly, I like him more as a mysterious man. Yeah, the, um, you know, I don't even think the Ancient One's called the Ancient I think he's just called his master at this point. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. And then Wong has, like, a literal single-panel appearance, but also is not called Wong. So there's a lot of just, like, the core tenets of Doctor Strange are there, but they're not yet fully named. Yeah, it's it's the weird early days of Doctor Strange, but that's where we're opening. Um, so if you go past, uh, grab your, your copy of uh, Strange Tales 110, which obviously you have sitting in your long box, um, and you open up, you're going to have to scroll past a really dumb human torch story where he fights the wizard and pace pop pete and then you get to doctor strange master of black magic uh and and it's it's just this really weird looking old guy in a weird blue outfit with a blue slash and orange gloves that have i guess this is drawn by ditko not kirby so i guess this is ditko crackle but it's in the glass. But it's that effect with all the little tiny dots that you see in a lot of Jack Kirby art. But it's going up the gloves. Um, and then this unfalling scroll, which is, Men call him Doctor Strange. Never have you known his like. It is a great pleasure and privilege for the editors of Strange Tales to present quietly and without fanfare the first of a new series based on a different kind of superhero. Doctor Strange, Master of Black Magic. Twice they do that on the first page of a five-page story. Because, like, because Doctor Strange, Master of Black Magic, takes up a solid quarter of the page in just large blue font, and then we put it again in the scroll. Could we not have just had this panel be more of a full, like, half-page Thing and just increase the size of the writing on the scroll instead of writing the title twice especially when we only have five pages to work with yeah i'm i'm just grateful to get to to do the lee narration out loud <laughs> yeah yeah uh you can tell so it says story by stanley art by steve ditko um when it comes to doctor strange i think we can pretty firmly say it is Stanley is scripting. Doctor Strange, maybe, maybe this issue. Maybe Stanley was like, we'll call him Doctor Strange and we'll do a story about a magician. But this feels like Ditko. This doesn't feel like a, a Stanley joint at all. You can definitely tell that Stanley is writing the dialogue, but the the bulk of the stories, I think, are very much like more Ditko's bag, and it definitely seems like one of those things where Steve Ditko was not getting the credit that he deserved. Yeah, and, like, Lee's style definitely comes across, but it's also, I think, the Ditko primary driving force is felt in the tonal difference. Like, even though Stan Lee's, like, exaggeration and adjective-laden prose is here, it's not as wild and... When you and me go on a joyride, pussy oats, and it's, like, less funny and it's very much just... Literal speech bubble, by the way. I don't remember what the fucking issue that was, but that's just something Trevor and I quoted each other, is you, when you and me go on a joyride pussy out. But this is, like, less funny than a lot of other, or at least attempting to be funny, than other early Lee-written things. It's very much just steeping itself in 
the ambiance and like the intro panel that you read with the scroll is Doctor Strange against this like bright red backdrop to make the yellow and blue of his outfit stand out. And then after that, the rest of the page, we have the sequence of blue and purple panels giving immediately very nighttime, very eerie. And then the inks that we'll talk about throughout, just like very nice deep inking. This really feels like something that could have run just in the sort of genre comics that hadn't fully disappeared by this point. Like, before he gets his cape, Doctor Strange is straddling feeling like a superhero or not. Especially in this first story, for me at least. Yeah. Um, the tone of this, it's really fucking weird that this is paired in a comic with a Human Torch story. <laughs> like, Human Torch solo story, backup, Doctor Strange... I, what child was this aimed at? Especially since it's not on the cover. Like, they don't—they didn't advertise this story. It's just in there. And it's like, I don't know. If I pick this up for the for the, the Human Torch story and I'm, like, excited. Okay, well, they always have a backup in my Human Torch solo book. And it's this? I'd be like, what What the hell is this? <laughs> this isn't This isn't what I, 60s child, who enjoys watching the Human Torch get into weird arguments with his girlfriend Doris and then like say some really awful Stan Lee 60s teenager dialogue and then beat up a guy named Pacepot Pete is expecting. Yeah like in terms of execution and how far it goes I wouldn't actually call these horror comics but they have like some of those trappings which I think are largely responsible for the parts I like of them most aesthetically. I was going to quote something, but do you want to have the chance to always be the one to quote the big dramatic Lee dialogue, or should I go ahead? Um, go for it, go for it. We'll, we'll, we'll hear your Stan Lee impression. Well, there's no way I can live up to that. Um, <laughs> somewhere in the city, between darkness and dawn, a tortured man tosses fitfully in his bed, vainly seeking peace that will not come. No! No! Go away, please! Please go away! It's no use. I can't sleep. I dare not sleep. It's that same dream. Every night the same. But why? What can it mean? I can't fight it alone. I need help. I've heard a name, spoken in whispers. Doctor Strange. He dabbles in black magic. Perhaps he can help me. So... Yeah, the first Doctor Strange story just opens with this bitch screaming in bed. And like I said before, these are like very nicely inked, hued in dark purples and blues. And I just think it looks nice. I just like this old timey horror comic aesthetic. Ditko is so good at expressive poses for his characters. Like, literally, we have four panels with characters in them on this first page of the story, and in every single one, the characters are doing something with their hands that is interesting to look at. That is a good point. Um, I think that is notable, just like how much is going on with the body language. I read plenty of comics today that don't do as well on that front, much less other material from 1960s. We're just like... 
that first panel of him, like, raising his arms up in bed and screaming, if you omitted the text, that could just be the format panel for a shit post that you would just put whatever text you wanted in to express whatever you were yelling about. Yeah, and then just, like, the weird way Doctor Strange is holding his hands in that first, like, it's it's this very specific thing that Ditko does, and you see it all over this, you see it all over, like, the early Spider-Man stuff. Um, but honestly, I it, it's the distinctive thing that you'd look at that and you know it's Steve Ditko, because everyone's hands are doing something weird all the time. It's very particular thing that he did and i really like it uh so moving on to the next page if you can tell these comics are very short this one's five pages so there's a lot to dive into on each page but like uh, we're gonna be deep diving on these we're on to page two now which means we've already read 20 percent of this first doctor strange story but yeah page two opens with a bit of a feat because we get the man from page one Shows up at Doctor Strange's house, which isn't yet called the Sanctum Sanctorum, but is established as being in Greenwich Village. And, like I said, the man shows up at the house. A character who is just presumably a helper to Doctor Strange opens it up and says, Doctor Strange knows all, enter. And this is not even just a nine-panel page. This is ten panels. These are very small panels. Very little room here, and yet this barely even there how small the drawing is depiction of this Asian man still manages to look so racist while barely even being able to fit on the page. This is not yet named as being Wong, but this will go on later on to be named as being Wong. This is the character that you might know from the MCU film if you've watched that. Yeah, it's just... The fact that he's opening the door and is, like, very clearly this... Actually, that's another thing to note, especially in this first issue. Doctor Strange looks weirdly, like, halfway between the Vincent Price design, which is what they sort of settled on, and, like, a weird Fu Manchu-style Asian stereotype character himself. Like, I can't tell whether he is supposed to be a white guy in this story or not. He's always got his eyes, like closed in this first story and while this is my favorite of the stuff we're gonna cover today except for maybe the spider-man annual because i like the spookier vibe of it it is painful how racist this is yeah it's like it is he does look more racially ambiguous i suppose than he will later on i don't know how much i'm being affected by like knowing that this will be definitively established as a white character later on in terms of how i'm just like interpreting these pages i want to be generous to the creators but like especially in some of these panels like they've even given him the 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 genghis khan mustache where it like twirls up and then goes down in like a half handlebar thing which is not how his mustache sort of winds up looking later on it winds up just being a pencil mustache it's it feels racially charged reading this now and and this is a character who later on is just established to be white and it's i think at this point that maybe wasn't the intent when these pages were drawn but the main physical or visual detail i suppose that has me like maybe they still meant for it to be a white man is because if he was definitively being imagined as asian 
then it's easy for me to imagine Marvel at this point in time doing a much different skin tone on him mm. in terms of just how many really old comic books just do like racist yellow coloring on Asian characters that's like not actual colors of skin that anyone actually has in real life. You know what I mean? So like his skin tone is close enough to the other uh, white character that I'm like not fully sure if he was meant to be Asian because like all the points you said are definitely like right and there's definitely a vibe but I'm almost I think the reason I'm not entirely sure is that I would expect it to be even more racist so we're just discussing the degrees of racism here and not if it's racist because it is and it's just a matter of how the specifics of to what intention well this is the digital recolor that we're looking at because oddly enough we don't have an original copy of this and it could be that the decision to make him a white guy was done after the art was drawn and so the colorist whoever that was was told to color him as though he was white and they were just gonna change him because he's much more vincent pricey and just even the next story like one week later and he's already a bit closer to vincent price although still a little off and it just slowly improves over time in terms of like not being a weird racist stereotype aesthetic i don't know it's a thing you can't help noticing when you read this now um i think the vincent price thing they do later is way better in terms of just like stan lee and steve ditko in the 1960s doing this i'm way happier that dr strange turned out white let me put it that way yeah it's even once we get beyond like strange's own race dr strange the uncomfortable race aspects of it a lot of it comes down to the origin and we'll talk more about the ancient one or just here his master when we get to it and it's like all of the stuff of just i learned magic from some unknown place in a very exoticized version of Asia, not even specific parts of Asia yet, just Asia, you know, just all of the strange Asian mysticism stuff is very bad. So that's bad. And then you get the sort of, oh, Doctor Strange will be revealed to be this white man who learns everything from his Asian teacher and becomes, like, the superior white man in the field, the field being magic. And so you get that sort of, like, white man being more competent than the much older, much more experienced Asian people aspect of it, which is bad. But also, you know full damn well that if they had actually made Doctor Strange himself an Asian character that the amount of racism on the page would have only gone up. Like, just looking at depictions of... The what? Mandarin. Yeah, the Mandarin of early Sunfire, Oof. of Wong, and I would say whatever other Asian characters Marvel had at this time. I can't think of a single other one. Those might be it. Not from the 60s, no. Yeah, just there's very little representation, and all of it's very bad. But I guess not to just keep uh, hitting the same point over and over. Uh, we can go ahead and, I guess, 
get back to the plot a little bit, where the man tells Doctor Strange about his nightmares, asks for help, and when he asks Doctor Strange how he's going to help, Strange says that he is going to enter the man's dream. And then we get the sequence where Doctor Strange uses his astral form for the first time, and we get these shots of his astral form flying out, phasing through buildings, and moving across the world. And I'm just going to read this portion of the caption, just verbatim. Until finally, at a hidden temple, somewhere in the remote vastness of Asia. So again, what I said a few minutes ago about how not only is it just this sort of specific vein of anti-Asian racism, but they don't even pick a country, they don't even narrow down a region of the largest continent on Earth, literally just somewhere in Asia, at which point Doctor Strange talks to the character that he's just calling Master at this point, will go on to be Tilda Swinton, and it's basically just Doctor Strange saying, hey girl, hey. Like, there's really no reason for him to be doing this right now. He's just saying, hey girl, hey. And his master is just like, hello pupil, if ever you need help or need to get out of a bind, use your magic amulet. Because Doctor Strange's amulet is already a thing here. It's not the Eye of Agamotto yet. Is it the amulet of Agamotto? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because he gets given a better amulet later, which is the one that they wind up calling the Eye of Agamotto. So this is, like, the less good amulet of Agamotto. Yeah, his master tells him to rely on his less good amulet of Agamotto. I really don't know why we did this, because it's literally... We only have five pages, and the Ancient One's really not necessary to this specific story. But anyway... They finish their little moments, we zip forward in time to that night, and I really like the coloration in these portions from the unknown, uncredited colorist, where the man goes to sleep, and Doctor Strange, like Astral, projects into the dream, and for all the backgrounds of reality, we have these nice blues, but then the dreamscape is pink, and will then have, like, purple and black within it. So it's just this really nice contrast of colors of just this soft pink against the blue of the night. And then we get these darkly inked figures. Um, specifically, we get a figure in a purple cloak with a bunch of chains. chains. Yeah, with a bunch of chains wrapped around him. And this is the figure that's been haunting the man's dreams. Doctor Strange says, It is desolate here, lonely and foreboding. Wait, someone begins to appear. And when we get the good view of the man in the chains, we get back to the nightmare screaming of, No, no, stay away, please stay away. At which point Doctor Strange asks the figure of in the dream why he's haunting this man. Oh, uh, before we move on, I want to talk, the, the way the dream is visualized is really cool. Because it looks like a thought bubble. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That is a good point to note. It's a thought bubble, and then the the initial lines for like the landscape in the dream that both the figure and Doctor Strange are standing on seems to appear sort of like ink being drawn onto a page. It's this really creative visual that's also like really spooky. But like we can see 
the thought bubble dream with the man in the panel still as though this is just like Doctor Strange has entered the thought bubble. It's very fourth wall breaky for something from the 1960s. <laughs> like this is, yeah, the, 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 using the, the medium in this way is something that I haven't really seen in anything else. And it's this weird thing to be doing in the middle of a nine panel grid, just in a five page backup story to your monthly Human Torch solo book. Yeah, it looks very nice. Like, I think I was going to say my main qualm with this story, except no, the main qualm is the 17 different qualms to have about just the various aspects of racism here. But other qualm I have with this story is just wishing that it wasn't confined to five pages because when the art is looking nice and creative, it really is. And it just would have been great to see what Ditko could do if he was just a little less constrained on page time. Mm. Because just like, imagine how much better this could have looked if Ditko didn't have to do 10 panels on every page. You know, if he could let these images breathe a little more. Oh yeah, yeah, no, this would have been amazing if you just doubled the page count or just made it a full issue. Which, um, frankly, I'd much rather read this than the Human Torch solo book. I just can't get over the fact that that was just such a regular thing for years in the 60s just the human torch by himself fighting random villains yeah um back to the plot the uh robed figure in the chains tells dr strange i am the symbol of evil the evil he has done that is why i am chained so if you do not believe ask mr krang um and so but then another form appears far more menacing than the first. Um, and this is our first classic Doctor Strange villain. It's Nightmare. Um, he's already met Doctor Strange. In fact, Doctor Strange calls him my ancient foe. I kind of like the idea that this guy already has like a lot of history. That's fun. We don't really see much of Nightmare. He's mostly in silhouette. It is like already the classic look with like the weird green puffy outfit with like the cloak and like all the black lines on it that even in modern stuff i can't tell what that's supposed to be like the fabric yeah it's weird it's like the because it's just like it's green and then it's got black lines all over it like sort of randomly here he's kept basically as a silhouette in a grand total of four panels on a single page with only like one shot really showing any detail of his face I think he's still pretty effective. He looks spooky. Yeah, he looks really nice. Like, definitely the best villain that we're going to talk about today. He also has his silhouetted horse that he's riding on through the dreamscape. And like you mentioned, the parts of him that aren't in shadow are showing off this black and green cape. And it just looks very nice. And he, like, stands out starkly against the light pink dreamscape background and it's just very visually arresting and in the midst of this the man whose dream it is wakes up because he realizes that the chained figure told dr strange about mr krang and basically the whole thing is it's the man who called dr strange for help just like is this crooked businessman screwed over someone else and has been feeling guilt about it in his subconscious since the nightmares. But 
Now he's like, Strange knows my secret. Better get my gun. <laughs> Let me walk over to my dresser and pull out my gun and uh. shoot this bitch. Because Doctor Strange, when he's using his astral form, his body is vulnerable. So this is like his main weakness early on. Is that when he's being his shadow self, basically his body's just chilling there. So this bitch gets out his gun. And Doctor Strange is calling out across the vast space between them to his master to ask for help because he's vulnerable in his uh, dream state. And uh, the the Ancient One concentrates real hard to uh, help Doctor Strange through the enchanted amulet because this amulet is the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card. It can do anything. Um, so it opens up and transfixes the guy which gives Doctor Strange enough time to, like, float away from Nightmare in the Dream, fly out of the big thought bubble, and pop back in his body. At which point, the guy, having failed to kill Doctor Strange before he gets back up, or wakes up out of his astral form or whatever, the guy's just like, damn, I guess I'll go straight and be a good guy now. Well, he's gonna go confess, so may- maybe go to jail... Who knows? It's weird how th- this feels like a Ditko like dig at Marvel and Stan Lee. Um, but I think based on when this issue came out, it's a little early for that. Yeah, it's still July 1963. So like Spider-Man's been around for a little bit, but not that long. I don't know how pissed Ditko was at Marvel yet, but this reads a little bit like someone's pissed at their boss and is like i'll write a story about a guy who betrayed his employees or his co-workers getting a comeuppance um which admittedly is a story i always appreciate i've been saying a lot of nice things about steve ditko uh ditko's a randian (laughs) he's into ayn rand um that that was real bad uh yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't, I like Steve Ditko's art, and I think that Steve Ditko got badly treated by Marvel and Stan Lee back in the day, but I also think that Stan Lee was kind of a prick. Both can be true. Yeah. I it, think he did great work. I think that, that he was not so great. <laughs> yeah. This little ending, wrapping it up, feels like a little bit of a moral, like a little just like ethical tying up to the story and then we just end with next issue explore the mystic world of black magic once again with dr strange as your guide and i'll reiterate that everything from the amulet opening up to that next issue blurb is all on the last page which again is 10 panels so we open the last page with the man pointing his gun at strange then all the amulet opening, then the moral wrap-up, and then the see you next month panel. And again, all of that is a single page. This could have been so much even better if it was not literally five pages. It's impressive how well it works considering how short it is. Yeah, like, it works overall. Like, it's not bad. It's just, you know, because, like, sometimes I'll read a comic and be like, this is constrained to the point that it's just actively bad, and it just is not making this amount of space work. These make it work. 
they just also make you think, damn, it could have been even cooler if he wasn't so constrained. But yeah, that's the first story. That one's pretty good. The next two are honestly kind of boring as fuck for me. Um, yeah, when I planned this episode, I had forgotten just how fucking dull Baron Mordo is. I just, I regret that. These these are also just like, Doctor Strange fights Baron Mordo. I, yeah, I mean, even the art is, there isn't as much to compliment because there's just not as much interesting, there's a lot of astral forms happening. It's just like, everyone is astral and they are punching each other in astral. We should actually probably go into it, I suppose. We're so hard on the first story detail. Let's, let's try and give this its due. Yeah, I guess we can do at least, like, the main points is essentially that, like, Baron Mordo gets introduced here. Uh, he's established already as being another formal pupil of the Ancient One, or just the Master here. So, again, another white man that the Ancient One is teaching and who will be a candidate to take his place, because, again the ultimate protagonist and winner at the end of the day is going to be one of these white men. And Baron Mordo is no longer on good terms with the Ancient One or Doctor Strange because he's evil. That's it. He's just evil. He has no depth. It's just he wants to use the dangerous power for power. And so he's very skilled. He can use his astral form from very far away to possess one of the Ancient One's helpers, who then drugs a meal that the Ancient One is having, at which point the Ancient One gets knocked out, is vulnerable to Mordo's attacks. But fortunately, at that point, Doctor Strange tries to call out to his master, notes that it's strange that he doesn't hear anything back, and so he, Astral, projects himself to go check it out, finds Mordo, and then it's just both of their ghost shapes punching each other. Until eventually Doctor Strange again uses his amulet, and... Well, he, he uses the amulet to power up the Ancient One, because this amulet can do anything. So he doesn't, he doesn't hypnotize Baron Mordo, he powers the Ancient One with amulet magic, and then basically, um, Doctor Strange is gonna, like, stop... Mordo from being able to find his body so Mordo's like oh no I will go back to my body because astral form we are vulnerable and uh it was actually a trick and Doctor Strange wanted to get Mordo back into his body in order to protect the master um because it means that his hypnotic control over the master's servant will be broken so now he can help the Ancient One survive the poison that he just ingested. And Baron Mordo is real annoyed by this. And Doctor Strange in his little astral form just flies away. There's very little to this. I think a very large part of why it's so bland is the difference in the art. Because like the story I don't give a shit about. Baron Mordo has no depth as a character. But it also lacks some of the fun stuff that's going artistically and tonally in the first story. Because there's just much less room for just the really nice deep inking jobs throughout the first story. Because it really is just these two white ghost figures fighting against solid slate-colored backgrounds. 
on a nine-panel grid the whole time. The whole story is in a nine-panel grid. There's a couple nice panels of, like, the Ancient One's palace that are, like, nicely detailed. But then the astral forms come in, and they're solid white ghost figures. And, yeah, it's just the downgrade from the first story. You feel it. I mean, we barely had anything to talk about. It's just like, here's some ghosts. I like that Baron Mordo also has a weird, unexplained title. We've got Doctor Strange and Baron Mordo. We don't know why Doctor Strange is a doctor. We don't know why Baron Mordo is a Baron. That's about... That's fun. I forget about the fact that Baron isn't just, like, his name. Or do we know what his real name is? Because, like, it is a title, right? Yeah, I think he is actually a Baron. Hang on, I am now going to Google Baron Mordo and find out what the hell his first name is. Because Baron can be a name, right? Isn't that the name of one of Donald Trump's children? Isn't that, like, his youngest son is named Baron? Am I making that up? It's almost Baron, but not quite. I can't remember it right now. It's not spelt the same way. Okay. Um, right, I've got it. He's Baron Carl Amadeus Mordo. He uh, never gets any more interesting than this in the comics, in my opinion. He does get a slightly better outfit because he gets, like, a cool collar and gets, like, a unique silhouette the way that Doctor Strange has one. Um, yeah, no, this 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 is... <sighs> this one just kind of happens. Again, I think if I was reading my um, Human Torch versus the Asbestos Man comic, and then this was my five-page backup, I would be confused and annoyed, but maybe for different reasons than I was last issue. Last issue, it didn't fit, but it was cool. This issue, it's hard to picture anyone really super enjoying this. And it ends with this panel of Doctor Strange saying... The mystic arts of black magic are older than the memory of man. In time to come, let us peer behind the enchanted veil together. At which point, people kept reading for some reason, even after this story. I guess they just really hoped things would be more like the first one. At which point, they would tune in to Doctor Strange's next appearance. Which, the quality of which is summed up by the title, The Return of the Omnipotent Baron Mordo. So you skipped two months, because he wasn't in issues 112 and 113, you get your Doctor Strange backup back, and I do think this one is better. This is better. This is definitely better than the last one. Yeah, Baron Mordo's still a boring character, but the issue isn't entirely constructed of astral form battles so it feels more real and there's also a bit more going on tactically to the fight between the two so it's a bit less boring but essentially what happens is that Doctor Strange gets a call for help from this old acquaintance as soon as Doctor Strange puts down the phone we shift to the next panel showing Baron Mordo being like ha 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 he doesn't know it's me because he did whatever magical thing to sound like the other man. I love that he shapeshifted into the guy in order to call Doctor Strange over the telephone. But I mean, the guy's name is Sir Clive Bentley. Um, I'm allowed to do that because I'm actually British. You are not allowed to refer to him as Sir Clive Bentley. <laughs> More to my argument that Doctor Strange should have just been British in the movies and he should have made Benedict Cumberbatch do that dumb accent. He was best friends with Sir Clive Bentley. It's fine. He can, don't make him do a bad accent. It's okay. Just say he studied at Oxford. Sorry. 
Is Clive Bentley the name of a real famous person? No, I just, I, that's such a British name. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm just making sure if I'm missing something or not. Well, and the Sir, right? That must, he must be British. No one's a Sir. Yeah, that's, Sir is very specifically for what's going on over there on Turf Island. We don't just call people Sir over here. Yeah, yeah. It, this guy is clearly not military. He's got a little weird mustache and a bow tie. He's British. Yeah. Look at his comb over. That mustache is unfortunate. But yeah, he had shapeshifted into the man for some reason for the phone call. Anyway, Doctor Strange ends up arriving in London, goes to uh, Bentley's castle. We get some nice shots of just like nice castle architecture is always cool. So already better than last time. But Doctor Strange shows up. Nobody's home. He's just like, this is weird. This is suspicious. At which point he sees some candles. He's just like, oh shit, the candle vapors have me paralyzed because Baron Mordo's doing some candle magic on his ass to paralyze him. At which point the Ancient One reaches out across telepathically to say, perhaps I can help you, my son. Doctor Strange says, no, if I'm ever going to take your place, then I need to be able to handle myself on my own. Let me prove myself. The Ancient One says, okay, good luck. And Doctor Strange uses his own sort of mind control shit to summon a woman nearby in the town who's just chilling at home, starts hearing shit going on in her mind. For once in 60s Marvel, it's not Professor X's fault being nosy. This time it's Doctor Strange forcing her to run across town, come to the castle, a specific note I didn't mention about the candle magic is that he was paralyzed while the candles were burning. But if they blew out of their own, like normally, by just reaching the end of the candle wick, then Doctor Strange would die, or whatever the fuck. Except he can bring this woman in to dampen the fire herself, and he's not hurt. So it's not the fire dying that kills him, but just how so? Because candle magic is weird and imprecise, I guess. I'm just picturing Baron Mordo in the corner going, Yes, my pumpkin spice candles have worked! At last I've no random woman from across town! It's... shit's weird. She basically frees him. Baron Mordo shows back up to be like, What the fuck? You got yourself out of this? Okay. And he's just like, that's fine, I'll use my magic power to just sap away your magic power. Doctor Strange is like, you fought, bitch, because that was just my astral form. Because remember, this is fucking London. I live in New York. That was my astral form. My real body just got here. You did not do jack shit. At which point, real Doctor Strange looks at Baron Mordo really intensely. And I'm gonna quote... Some captions from this panel. To the incredulous eyes of Victoria Bentley, who breathlessly witnesses the scene, it seems that Doctor Strange and Baron Mordo are just standing still, just staring. But on another plane, in another mystic dimension, one of the most titanic battles of all time is taking place, silently, desperately, until with one nerve-shattering impact, the figure of Baron Mordo vanishes in a sudden puff of eerie smoke. And the action 
is just the shot of the two looking at each other with like mystic selves like punching each other overhead on a purple backdrop with random bolts of lightning moving around. But really they're just looking at each other until Doctor Strange wins for some reason and Baron Mordo disappears. I just love that Doctor Strange was like hypnotizing a random woman to come and help save his astral form that presumably didn't even really need saving. I the, the the first way he gets out of a jam and then the second way he gets out of a jam make the way that he first needed to get out of a jam entirely pointless and dumb and you're just like, what? Yeah, it's like, is his astral form like equivalent to a soul or something? Like, would there be actual permanent harm? Or would it just like dissipate and his astral form would just no longer be there, but he'd be fine? I do not understand the metaphysics of astral forms, so I'm not... I, I, I think it's just, like, his mind and, I guess, his soul hanging out. Maybe maybe astral forms are actually very vulnerable to candle magic. That is the logical conclusion. Now, after the battle resolves, Doctor Strange talks to the woman again. We didn't note already that the story already said that this woman possessed a talent for magic, but she hasn't learned any yet. She just has innate talent. And she asks Doctor Strange if he'll teach her, and he says, No, because if you do learn, Baron Mordo will see you as a threat. I can't teach you until he's no longer a threat. Except Baron Mordo already knows that she has talent, so why wouldn't he go after her when she's powerless as opposed to waiting for her to get talented? So wouldn't it make sense to teach her to help her protect herself? Except Baron Mordo is admittedly not a very skilled tactical mind, so maybe she actually is safe without knowing anything. I just... It's so weird that she's there. And then it's just like, she's like, teach me. I'm like, okay, you got hypnotized into putting out some candles and then stood as a man walked into a copy of his own body and fused with it and then stared really hard at this other guy because it's established that she can't see the magic battle. And then the other guy turned to smoke. And you're like, yes, I want to live in this world. <laughs> Teach me your magic. Teach me your magic. I was really struck in awe as you just <laughs> stared that dude down. <laughs> yeah, this one's a little better than the other Baron Mordo story. But not saying much. It's still not the height of the first story. I don't really have any more to add about it. Yeah, Baron Mordo can get stuffed. Can't stand the guy. Now we move on to The Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 2 from 1965. So we're jumping forward quite a bit in terms of, like, the Ditko Strange. Like, at this point, all of the Doctor Strange stuff has been figured out. Like, he's got his big red cloak now. I think the Ancient One's already dead. Um, and, of course, this is a Spider-Man story. Uh, this is our third episode featuring a Spider-Man story and it is the second featuring Spider-Man meeting Doctor Strange. I love it when it happens, mostly because I read this issue in a Marvel's Essentials volume way back in the day. And it was my favorite story in that, like, early Lee Ditko run. Except for the, um, the Master Planner saga, the one where Doc Ock is secretly the Master Planner and Spidey has to lift the heavy piece of machinery that they keep ripping off. Yeah, this is... 
their first time meeting in canon. So this is setting up the stage for these two to assist each other and keep on running into each other from here on out. Do you want to do the uh, plot synopsis for this one? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the cover is actually really boring. It's Spider-Man standing next to a Spider-Man head with a bunch of Spider-Men on it, and I just made it sound way more interesting than it kind of turns out, weirdly. You would think you'd put Doctor Strange on the cover if you're doing a The Wondrous Worlds of Doctor Strange crossover with Doctor Strange story. It's all against this solid yellow backdrop, too. Like, there is no scenery going on. Like, no setting, no concrete detail, just multiple Spider-Man Multiple Spider-Men, plural, running around. Just kind of weird. I love a solid yellow backdrop if there's something on it that's cool. Yeah. Oh, well. See, and then we get the cool one. If you actually bought the issue at the newsstand and opened it, you open to this wonderful full-page spread of Spider-Man surrounded by what can only be described as weird Doctor Strange shit with Doctor Strange in his full sort of finished look with like the big the, the the cloak of levitation with its weird like hook things on the top it's glorious doing like magic at this distant figure wearing green who is also doing magic yeah yeah no this one it's it's back to the first story in terms of just like oh yeah the art's real cool i guess weird doctor strange shit it, there's a lot of like balls of stuff that are connected by strands to other balls of stuff and then like windows that like some stuff goes into and some stuff goes behind and there's like planets sometimes or stars it's a very specific and distinct kind of weird stuff to like your like kirby weird stuff that you were getting around the same time in the same company often like fantastic four and stuff like that it's it's just it's a lot of weird shit there's a lot of like weird perspective shifts it's cool but yeah. it's so weird yeah it's like very specifically like geometric and it's all highlighting like dimensions breaking down or like crossing between dimensions in a way that's like unnatural for the real world and so it just takes like all these basic conventions of just like shapes and angles and relationships between objects and physical space and just sort of like flips them on their head and disrupts them or subverts them so that by like doing weird shit with just like basic aspects of reality like shapes it just sort of sells the idea of reality has been fucked up because it's magic time it's fun yeah i love a good doctor strange weird looking thing it's great we need more of it yeah this is why you read Doctor Strange, because you like looking at weird shit. Also, it's got the captions for the creative team is fun. Uh, it's written and edited by the Toast of Marvel, Stan Lee. Plotted and drawn by the Boast of Marvel, Steve Ditko. And then lettered and boarded by the Ghost of Marvel, Sam Rosen. That last one feels like a threat. So yeah, this is... They're admitting Ditko's plotting this. Stanley's just scripting. I've written, I would argue, is maybe an overstatement of what he's doing if Stan, uh, if Steve Ditko did the plot. So it is a Spider-Man story. So we open with Spider-Man doing doing the usual Spider-Man thing of swinging around, and he's real bored because he can't find a criminal. 
Um, so he's making up for it by just doing three spectacular over-the-top Steve Ditko poses in three panels. Yeah, he's so bored that he's remarking about how he can't even find a jaywalker, which makes me ask, does superhuman Spider-Man go around attacking jaywalkers? Can we not just let people cross the street, Peter? Well, well, one time he didn't stop a jaywalker and his Uncle Ben got shot. It was in, like, the foot. It wasn't as bad as that other time he got shot, but you know. <laughs> God. The dangerous jaywalker. In New York City? Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I mean, depending on traffic. In New York City, everyone jaywalks. It's how you get around New York. Literally. Like. Uh, okay. Yeah. Spidey's running around. We cut to a bar where these two big beefy muscle men beating everybody else up. And this weird mysterious man comes up and tells them that they're gonna work for him because these big two strong men look perfect for his purposes. They're just like, why would we do that? Go away. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you go ahead. Okay, okay, okay. Silence! When Zandu commands, others obey. My will is your will. Thus speaks Zandu. I'm Does... waiting to do that. <laughs> God. <laughs> On this panel that, like, his face is the center of it, and surrounding it is just this blood red and, like, dramatic, just, like, black action lines. But it's just his disembodied face, and it's just fucking weird. I, I fucking love Zandu. Um... <laughs> Does does he feature, does he return? Is this, like, a real character of history? I have literally never seen him in any other story. I assume he probably has returned at some point, but nothing that I've seen. But he is already a more interesting Baron Mordo, because he has a monocle and a sillier name. It starts with an X. Yeah, Zandu. That's great. Baron. Th this guy should have replaced Baron Mordo. If you're going to have a dumb, evil magician... It should be Zandu. That's just... Why did we keep Baron Mordo once you came up with this guy? Uh, so the two big, beefy, bar-brawling dudes are immediately hypnotized, and Zandu has them demonstrate how they are now impervious and also super strong. Like, he gets one of them to punch the other guy in the face and he doesn't move, and then he gets that guy to, like, wreck the bar even more than it's already wrecked from that earlier fight, and he, uh goes takes them back to his his little sorcerer's lair you know he's got like a little a little cauldron with like some weird legs on it and some smoke um some furniture with weird things sticking off of it you know the classic like sorcerer's lair and declares that he wants he has one half of the wand of watum and he wants the other half so then he will possess the greatest power of all it's like this dinky little gold thing that he's holding. His outfit's fun, too. So he's wearing just, like, green robes with a light green inside. And then he's got, um, what do you call that? It's, it's like, it's like, it's just like a hood on his head, like, tight to the top of his head. Uh, just this. Is it a balaclava? I was just gonna call it a shower cap. <laughs> he's but... wearing a green shower cap. Yeah, just, like, full-on head coverage, except for the face. I imagine something like that would just feel weird and how it would fit on you. Uh, he's got little, like, spiky shoulders. I like a spiky shoulder. I like a green villain. 
so yeah, the Wand of Watum, it's just this tiny little gold stick with a little, like, it, I guess it looks like a head. It's like a little gold stylized head with little horns coming out of it. We establish that Doctor Strange has the other half of the Wand of Watum. And he sends his two random dudes he found in a bar to go and get it from Doctor Strange. Um, so Doctor Strange is chilling in his own little sorcerer's house. He's got a little cauldron with funky legs on it and smoke coming from it. He's got a little statue holding some funky stuff, you know, all of little bits coming off of it. Got to get those little pointy silhouettes. And the two guys just bust down the door. Like his house door is not locked, is not guarded, just... They just burst right in. Wong was around at this point. Maybe Wong just, like, let them in, and this is this is just, like, the door to his study that they're busting down. Maybe Wong was like, oh, come in, and I was like, wait, oh, shit. Yeah, but they come in just ready to attack Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange tries to trick them with a, like, multiple self-illusion sort of thing, but Xandu was watching on from a distance... And so can guide them to the correct Doctor Strange, which he can see with his mystical power. So Doctor Strange's tricks don't help him. They beat him to the ground, at which point it is said that Doctor Strange's amulet protects his stilled figure from further harm. So his amulet didn't stop them from beating his ass, but will stop them from harming anymore once he's unconscious. So the amulet, once it's like it's like you know when you stroke a cat and they're just counting in their head to like the stroke that means they're gonna try and murder you. Well, the amulet counts how many times you get the shit kicked out of you, and so it gets to the point where it's like, ah, nope, you're protected now. Just like making sure it's life threat, not life threatening. Like they will fully let you get the shit beat out of you, but it will technically protect you from getting killed. It's weird because I don't think it does that at any other point. It's also, like, Xandu is like, he's of no further interest to us, go find the wand. And I'm like, does Xandu know about the amulet doing this? This really weird thing the amulet apparently does? I don't know, we're getting sidetracked. Um, so he just has the guys punch the shit out of every cabinet until they find the other half of the wand of Watum. Um, and then they exit through the skylight, and Spider-Man is swinging overhead. And Spider-Man's just like, they're exiting through a skylight. They must be thieves. Clearly, no one would ever exit from their own skylight. Only criminals use skylights. Yeah. Okay, in New York, really? Okay. At which point, Spider-Man is like, you're up to no good. Time for me to beat on you. And then he's just like, what the fuck? Why am I not hurting you? I'm strong. And then they hurt him because he's strong. They can even just rip up his webs. There's nothing Spidey can do. They beat his ass. But before just being fully knocked out, Spider-Man throws a little spider-shaped tracer onto one of the men's legs so that he'll be able to find them later. Before we zoom forward to Xandu's lair where his minions give him the upper half, he has the full Wand of Watum which he refers to as being the greatest source of mystic power ever possessed by one man. And it's mine! MINE! And, yeah, just funny how this just happens to be the 
biggest source of magic power of all time. It's two little heads on a tiny stick. I love the Wand of Watum. Does the Wand of Watum come back? I feel like the word Watum is familiar. I have no fucking clue. I've really, honestly, aside from the original Dick Girl stuff, I've barely read any Doctor Strange. I need to, but yeah. The Chris Bachelot stuff is the good stuff. Yeah, see, I need to re- read that. So, of course, he decides to demonstrate his power. This is just, it continues to be really fucking hilarious. So he can now use the power of the Wand of Watum to open passages between other worlds, other times, and other dimensions. Which means that we see floating planets and more of the geometric stuff. Yeah, this is like, this is full Doctor Strange weirdness. This is, it's so good. And and, and this, this particular panel, we're just getting like barely glimpses of these. But then he opens up a window to see Doctor Strange unconscious on the floor of his house still. And he's like, Yes, now that the Wand of Watum is mine, with one single thought, I can destroy that statue behind him. He blows up the statue behind Doctor Strange to demonstrate his power to himself. Because Doctor Strange's amulet protects him when he's unconscious. Well, here's the thing. The very next panel, he's like slowly, inexorably, relentlessly, I shall destroy my enemies one by one until none remain to defy me, and Doctor Strange shall be the first to become my victim. And he's, like, about to blow Doctor... Why did he just blow Doctor Strange up? (laughs) It's weird. Why didn't you just shoot him? I love Zandu. He's... He's just better than Baron Mordo because he is a fucking idiot, and he has a monocle. Yeah... At this point, Spider-Man is watching in from the window. He is caught up. He's rested a bit and has used his tracker to follow them. Comes in to save the day. Xandu casts a spell on him to make him vanish. At which point, Spider-Man vanishes. He's like getting sucked up by this concentric circle into another dimension. But he shoots a web to grab the Wand of Watum on his way out. Thus ensuring that Xandu will have to come back for him because he'll want the wand, so therefore they're going to have a reason to go back to the dimension that Spider-Man just got sent to so then Spider-Man can follow them home. But yeah, once he's fully transported, we just get Spider-Man in more of these geometric weird dimensions with one panel has what looks like the planet Saturn like submerged in an ocean with a pointy mountainscape floating in the sky above it it's very nice it's very nonsensey digimon geography i like it um yeah i love i love the weird flesh-colored tube with just sort of random squares on it just going off into infinity um, and going through like all these different windows there's like a lava planet thing and spider-man's just like i don't have an idea where i am what is oh god <laughs> it's it's funny he sees Zandu and he's like ah yes a practitioner of black magic of course i should have guessed and i i double checked um unless there's something in some other crossover that he was in he's only the only other magic user he would have met was dr doom at this point and like would dr doom have even have been doing magic or would he have just been using doom bots and pointing threateningly probably that that's most of what he does, especially in the 60s. The magic is, like, a minor thing for Doom, so... Yeah. 
it's funny that he's just like, oh yeah, of course, magic. I mean, I guess in the Marvel Universe, even at this point, you would just kind of be like, yeah, fuck it, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And so according to Spidey's plan, Xandu does send the henchmen into the other dimension to retrieve the wand, at which point Spidey resumes fighting them. Meanwhile, Doctor Strange wakes the fuck up, uses the power of, can you guess what, his amulet, to follow behind and find where he needs to go. We get a nice moody shot of him with his cape billowing above the New York streets as he makes his way, so that's nice. And we just sort of cut back and forth between Spider-Man fighting in the dimension and Xandu in his lair, Doctor Strange shows up, they start shooting spells at each other, and eventually Spider-Man ends up getting brought back with the minions through a dimensional portal so that Xandu can get the amulet back, which he does manage to grab from Spider-Man, and so it just becomes an all-out brawl with all parties involved. I love just how bad at magicianing Xandu is. Like, he's literally, like, he fights Doctor Strange for three panels and is like, shit, I don't have a damn chance. <laughs> and then Spider-Man shows up and he's like, ooh, the wand, I need that. I'm bad at this without it. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just has no talent on his own. He needs the super magic game-breaking item if he's gonna do anything. It's... Which... Is Zandu me playing video games? Zandu is both of us playing video games. <laughs> and I'll point out again that once he has the wand, Zandu brings up another view as he's like searching to find Doctor Strange to attack and obliterate him. Except before when he could just instantly locate Doctor Strange, he can't do that anymore. He's having to like search the skylines conveniently. Well, last time he watched the guys with like his spooky floaty eyes behind the guys, he'd hypnotize them, knock them out. Whereas like in this case, Doctor Strange is just like flown out the window and then astral form back in. So I guess he doesn't actually know where Doctor Strange is floating right now. So he still has to search for him. It's like not just like an instant find. It's just like he can get a vision of a place he can picture in his head. Yeah, I, I assume so. I, I, I feel like there should be like a locator spell that he can do, but he's incompetent as hell, which is hilarious and one of the reasons why I think the story is so much fun. Yeah. So Astral Form Doctor Strange like helps Spider-Man beat the two goons by like electrifying himself at the precise moment while they're hitting him to actually electrify them and they just sort of wake up and they're fine i feel bad for these guys they just wanted to like go to a bar and stop a fight and they wound up spending all evening just like getting run around by this weird old dude they just wanted to incite violence they didn't want to do it for this incompetent fuck so then Doctor Strange was like, okay, well, that's that's that problem solved. And they, he gets back into his body, and he and Spider-Man sort of attempt to destroy Zan- like, attack Zandu at the same time. And he is so fucking overwhelmed by two guys attacking from basically the same direction that he can't just, like, figure out what to do. <laughs> He's just like, oh, no, I'll just fire bolts off randomly. And 
Strange is just able to block some of them with his magic shields, and Spider-Man is, like, flipping around and doing his thing. And Zandu is just so overwhelmed that he just fucking trips over a web! He literally trips and drops the thing. Spidey gets it. Doctor Strange uses again his amulet to drain the power out of it so that the Wand of Watoom is no longer a powerful item. Which begs the question, how was it the most powerful magical item in the world if the amulet at any point could have just depowered it? Does that not by definition make the amulet more powerful? The amulet's more powerful now. He took all that power for himself. Doctor Strange is actually a power-mad lunatic. It's... it's all... it all just plays out exactly as conveniently as it needs to. And we just wrap up with Doctor Strange going, You have accredited yourself well this night, costumed one. The friendship of Doctor Strange will be yours, whatever befalls. At which point Spider-Man says, Much obliged, Doc. After what I've seen, I sure wouldn't want you for an enemy. Feel free to hop into my dreams and just see me naked a couple decades from now. <laughs> we'll hang out in weird dreamscape New York where everyone has the face of my wife. Uh, and then the last panel is Doctor Strange flying off going, May the Vishanti watch over thee. And Spider-Man standing very dramatically on a rooftop and he says back, And may your amulets never tickle. Why do other heroes like Spider-Man? Can you imagine teaming up for a team-up and you're going away after being like, good job, man, and it's just like, may your amulet never tickle. It, it, Dr. Strange literally like, I hope my gods watch over you and keep you safe, and Spider-Man's like, I hope your amulet doesn't tickle. <laughs> yeah. Peter and, Park is such an asshole. And that is the wrap-up to the first Dr. Strange Spider-Man story. Obviously, I love this one. I just think it's so fucking funny. And they need to bring Xandu back in, like, a big way. Can we get, like, Jonathan Hickman writing Doctor Strange and and Xandu could get, like, Moirud into being just the best character? God. For ten lives. Wait, wait, he's Tendu! He's Tenandu! Tenandu. <laughs> he's Tenandu! <laughs> Whatever an Andu means. He I don't is know. Andu the Timf. We're gonna find out. <laughs> but, yeah. Of these, the first story is still definitely my favorite easily, but the Spider-Man story is also easily better than the Baron Mordu stuff. Like, this at least had enjoyable parts to it. God, the Baron Mordo stuff's just crap. Yeah, it's weird because Andu is literally just Baron Mordo, but, like, slightly more incompetent. And I think with a slightly cooler look, at least at this point, because, like, the monocle's neat. I like a monocle. There's a lot to be said for just being incredibly incompetent and just having a more dramatic outfit. Yeah, I, I would rather read stories about this guy than Baron Mordo. Yeah. With all that said, that is our discussion of early Lee Ditko, Doctor Strange. Do you have any more notes you want to wrap up on before we... Uh, head into announcing next week. I wish I'd picked something other than those Baron Mordo issues. I regretted the Baron Mordo as soon as I reread them. I was like, oh, right, these ones are boring. The interesting stuff comes later on. What was I thinking? We still got plenty of showtime out of the two that were good. So yeah. with that said, 
So far on this podcast, you have introduced me to Doctor Who and Bionicle, and it is now my turn to introduce you to one of the most iconic, sickening, and just Hall of Famer heights of sci-fi literature. Most things just do not compare, and you're about to have your mind fucking blown when we introduce you to Animorphs next week. This is the graphic novel adaptation of the first book in the series, The Invasion, and soon you're going to know what an Andalite is, and what a hork is, and what a Taxon is, and I look forward to educating you. This is going to be a bit of a flashback to episode 2 when we talked about that shape-shifting alien so much. I have not read it yet, but I took a peek, and I saw one guy turning into a cat in just the weirdest way, so it's cool. The there... cat is cute. There is a lot of transforming into things in the weirdest way. I approve of that, very much so. Yeah, so look forward to that. If you haven't personally read it, fucking read it. Animorphs is the best war story ever told. I'm not joking. Fucking read it and follow along with us next week. Yeah, all that. (laughs) Yeah, I command you, Bye bye Oh, 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 oh.